And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who's always wanted to make his own house key. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, it's never been a prettier summer day than here on Milleronia today. And I know, I know, I create the weather here. And I punish people who don't do a good job at it. I know, but it's still worth saying thank you, because they do a great job. Today is gorgeous here, and the colonel and I, and our doggies here, and uh, my wife are in, uh, well, we love being on Milleronia. True, I love stately Miller Manor back on the mainland, but boy, we have, we have a gorgeous house here, too. And everyone is so friendly. And, uh, of course, they'd better be, but I don't know why I enjoy so much making things, boy, suddenly very cruel. But you know what? It's, it is gorgeous here, and it's wonderful to be here every day, and uh, it makes me happy, as, of course, the music makes me happy. That's the Alfred E. Newman Orchestra and the Butterfly McQueen Dancers, featuring boy tenor Brad Simpson asking the musical question, since musicals are largely a thing of the past, are there any triple threats in Hollywood today? And was there ever a quadruple threat? Wow, good question, Brad. Now, let me just let you know, folks, that uh, in case you don't know those phrases, a triple threat was really big and important in Hollywood since the beginning, and especially through the 30s, 40s, 50s, and especially those days, because a triple threat was someone, man or woman, who could act and sing and dance. And boy, those studio heads really put them to work learning those things. They were all talented, but boy, they could really hoof when they, when they needed to. And that's a triple threat. And then, uh, well, as Brad said here, and was there ever a quadruple threat? And the Colonel and I both thought, what would that be? I mean, what would, be, what would be the fourth one? Sword fighting, knitting, throwing pies, or catching them? I could do that, by the way. <laughs> I think you could, too. <laughs> and then, yeah, then eat them. But you know what? I mean, who did four? Elvis sang and acted and danced and played the guitar, and that's four. That's a four. Chico Marx, uh, the great Chico Marx, was a wonderful comedic actor, played the piano beautifully, but I don't remember him dancing. Frank Sinatra, of course, was a great singer and actor and dancer. And Barbara Streisand, boy, oh boy, I think she had four that, uh, the great singing, acting, dancing, and she could play musical instruments everywhere, couldn't she? And Bette Midler, too. She was great at those four things, too. And we both agreed, the Colonel and I, that Bernadette Peters does four. And, uh, whoa, what a talent. Uh, she, Acting, singing, dancing, and Colonel Jeff says he thinks she played a great ukulele in The Jerk. 
And Prince, by the way, he acted and sang and danced and played guitar in Purple Rain. So there are folks who do all sorts of things, two, three, and four of them. Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, and Prince all do lots of things. And, by the way, Steve Martin acts and sings and dances and plays a terrific banjo, as I'll bet you knew. And by the way, I opened for Bernadette Peters in one of the great, uh, great hotels and one of the great casinos in New Jersey, in Atlantic City. And it was a, just terrific. And she's great. Wow. What a talent she is. And she's fun to be with. And she's gorgeous, by the way. In case you hadn't noticed that. But you know what? Good question, Brad. That uh, since musicals are largely a thing of the past, are there any triple threats in Hollywood today? And was there ever a quadruple threat? Yes, sir. Colonel Jeff and I are both triple threats. And, uh, well, you know, and it's not, maybe it's not those things are, it gets down to like the third thing is not that great. You know, like making eggs. Hey, we're pretty good at that, you know. And I am, by the way. But you know what? Was there ever a quadruple threat? Yes, there was. And yes, there are. Good question, Brad. And it's good to mention now Alfred E. Newman and a tip of the hat to Butterfly McQueen. Butterfly McQueen, a great actress. Wow. She was terrific. You know her from a lot of movies. The Colonel just saw her, by the way, in a classic, Mildred Pierce. And speaking of classics... Her first movie part was in a little thing called Gone with the Wind. She played Prissy, and it's a good part, and she was terrific in it. And uh, she didn't just pass away. This is not an obit for her. But as I mentioned, Colonel Jeff just saw her in a good part in a good movie, and it reminded him of her. And I met Butterfly McQueen on the M17 Crosstown bus in New York. At 79th Street, and I was uh, heading off to the comic strip to go to work. I was a, I just started as a comedian, and I'm on the bus, and I looked over, and sitting in the seat there on the other side, I thought, well, for crying out loud, that's Butterfly McQueen. And I just walked over and said, pardon me, are you Butterfly McQueen? And she smiled and said yes, and I told her, well, I told her the truth. You're great in everything you do. And I just started, I'm a comedian, and uh, I think we both know a good cross-town bus in New York. And she laughed at that, and uh, we just chatted for a second or two, but that was one of those moments of, well, how do you like that? So, God bless her. Boy, she she passed on in, in 1995, and uh, I bet I bet God is saying the best things about her, too. And I bet his first words to her were, aren't you Butterfly McQueen? And I also mentioned, <clears throat> pardon me. Hmm. And I also mentioned the great Alfred E. Newman. And I hope uh, some of you know, or most of you know, or all of you know, he was the great master, the great motto, the great face of Mad Magazine, and his his motto that it said underneath his picture, which is always a drawing, and uh, <laughs> used to be in quotes, what, me worry? And 
I I still don't even know what that means, but I loved it the first time I read it, and I still do. And, well, as the Colonel and I talked about today, Mad Magazine is ending. They were great for so long. 1952. That's 67 years. And just wonderful stuff. I used to love their uh, movie satires. They were so clever, so smart and funny. They're good comedy writers. And Spy versus Spy and uh, so many things where you folded the back cover in three pieces and then it looked like something. It looked like another thing that they drew in there. It was always great. And uh, I think I really got to know it in what they, well, what was known as, uh, I think, the height of their fame. They got two million readers a month. And boy, I was one of them. So you know what? They tried all sorts of different ways. They tried this way and that way just to, well, get interest together again. But this was the era, as you know. Nothing wrong with that, but for the last 10, 20 years, more a little that, uh, well, folks from 12 years old and 15 years old and 20 and 30 and all ages, but they were already doing different things. They were already looking at different things on the Internet and different kinds of comics and books and things like that. And that's the way it goes. So to all those fellas, uh, Alfred E. Newman, headed by Alfred E. Newman, and uh, what they always used to call uh, slyly, and the usual bunch of idiots. That's They always called themselves things like that. But they sure weren't idiots, were they? They were great. And I hope you know that too. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Boy, this is always fun. I love passing on a good joke. And uh, the colonel and I both liked this one. Is an older fella who was very rich, very wealthy, and he's 85 years old. And he was in good health. Boy, he had zillions of dollars. And what do you know? He fell in love with a beautiful 25-year-old girl. And she's a young woman, and he loved her, and she loved him, and they got married. And she asked him if it was was okay beforehand that, uh, well, she wanted separate bedrooms because she didn't want him to get too nervous or excited about them sleeping together. And she was looking out for him, and he said, you know what, That's that's a good idea. And they, after the wedding, well, they go to their house that he had built just for them. And sure enough, they have uh, two rooms, and uh, she just turns the covers down in the bed and gets into the bed, and and so right there, there's knock, knock, knock. And she gets up and opens the door, and it's her new husband. And she says, hi, Albert. And he says, hi, Jenny. And uh, she says, come on in. And he comes in, they close the door, and they both get into her bed, and they, well, they do what newlywed couples do, and everything went fine. It was just terrific. And he says afterwards, he smiles at her in the bed there and says, uh, you know what? That was wonderful. And thank you, and I'm awfully glad we're married. And you know what? I think you're right. I'll just head out now and go to over to my room down the hall. And I think that's probably a pretty good idea. And she said, thank you, Albert. And he does. 
and uh, opens the door. He said, stay there, stay there in the bed. He opens the door and closes it, and she's happy. She smiles and says, how do you like that? That was very good, and, well, God bless him, he was terrific, too. And just a couple of minutes later, there's another knock, 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 knock. And she said, what in the world? And she gets out of bed and opens the door. And it's Albert again, her new husband. And he's he looks wonderful. And he looks spry and full of energy. And, and he says, uh, can I come in? And she says, sure, sure. And he comes in. She closes the door. And, well, they do it again. He's as happy as could be. And he's... He's ready and for Freddy, as they used to say, and so is she. And they do it again, and oh boy, she's really got to hand it to him. And the, and afterwards, he says, uh, "Wow, I just love you, and thanks. I'm going to head back to my room." Okay, and he does that, walks out the door, and closes it. A few minutes later, don't you know, comes again that knock, 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 and she, what in the world? She opens the door. And there he is again, and he's ready again and happy again and excited again and energetic again. And, you know, he and she do what? Well, what newlyweds do, what men and women do. And she, she says to him, she's out of breath now. And she says to him, Albert, I have to tell you, this has all been wonderful. I, I mean, I love you anyway, but... Uh, to be honest, I've I've known young men who only do this well once, and they're not even that sure about what they're doing. And here, you you do this three times, and he says, "You mean I've been in here already?" <laughs> I hope you like that. We got a kick out of that. So he's wonderful. He's a great new husband, and he's got every dollar in the world, and he loves his new young wife. And, well, he may not have the best memory in the world, but so what? So what, folks? <laughs> anyway, if you like that, pass it on. There's nothing like keeping a good joke going. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. That string quartet. This is a terrific poem and uh, very touching. It's by Edgar Albert Guest. He lived from 1881 to 1959. He was born in England but grew up in Michigan. And every time I read something like that, by the way, I want to say England wasn't good enough. But I mean, Michigan's a great place. He started working at the Detroit Free Press when he was 13 and stayed for 60 years, and a wonderful poet. And here's one by him called A Boy and His Dad. A boy and his dad on a fishing trip. There is a glorious fellowship, father and son in the open sky, and the white clouds lazily drifting by, and the laughing stream as it runs along with the clicking reel like a martial song. And the father teaching the youngster gay how to land a fish in the sportsman's way. 
I fancy I hear them talking there, in an open boat, and speech is fair, and the boy is learning the ways of men, from the finest man in his youthful kin. Kings to youngster cannot compare with the gentle father who is with him there, and the greatest mind of the human race not for one minute could take his place. Which is happier, man or boy? The soul of the father is steeped in joy, for he's finding out to his heart's delight that his son is fit for the future fight. He is learning the glorious depths of him, and the thoughts he thinks and his every whim, and he shall discover when night comes on how close he has grown to his little son. Oh, I envy them as I see them there, under the sky in the open air, for out of the old, old long ago came the summer days that I used to know, when I learned life's truths from my father's lips, as I shared the joy of his fishing trips. A boy and his dad on a fishing trip, builders of life's companionship. Isn't that a good one, folks? That's just lovely. A Boy and His Dad by Edgar Albert Guest. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. The Magic Movie Moment. Oh, this is a good one too, folks. I remember I saw this movie when it first came out in 1970 with my friend Billy Walsh, and uh, we both just loved it. Kelly's Heroes, directed by Brian G. Hutton, starring Clint Eastwood, Telly Savalas, Don Rickles, Donald Sutherland, Gavin McLeod, Jeff Morris, Stuart Margolin, Harry Dean Stanton, Carl Otto Alberti, whom you know, and uh, it's a terrific movie. It's It's got good drama in it, was shot in Czechoslovakia, by the way, and I remember seeing John Landis on The Tonight Show talking about it. He was a kind of a junior director, then uh, second assistant director or third assistant director. And boy, he's terrific now, but he, he he was always saying, well, you know, when you're single and you're spending a lot of time in Czechoslovakia, it may not sound like the greatest place, but it really was to us. Yeah, sure, what do they, when people say, what do they make? Well, they they make tennis balls, but, other, you know, it always says made in Czechoslovakia there. But this is a wonderful movie, folks. And it's such a good story. And with what a cast of good, strong actors. And there's always a nice comic touch, too. Even in the most dramatic moments, they know how to wink at you. And it's very welcome. And the magic movie moment to me, with you, on this, on Kelly's Heroes, is the scene where, well... They know there's gold, and it's locked up, bolted up behind giant doors in a, in a small bank in France, and it's the Nazis' gold that they've been stealing. And they go there, all these fellas, they essentially well, take, take off and go. And they've got a, you know, a group together, and they're going to steal that gold back from the Nazis. But there's a panzer tank and its crew guarding that gold, guarding that bank. And they decide, 
with Clint Eastwood as the leader of the group and all of them together that, because that guy, that Panzer commander, is tough as nails and he's not, he's not giving up. And they decide to confront him and tell him what they're there for and see if they can make a deal. As Don Rickles says, what do you mean, what are you going to do? You make a deal. It's a deal. Tell him you want to make a deal. And Clint and Telly and Donald Sutherland approached the tank sitting in the town square in front of that bank. And one of them's on the left, and one of them's on the right, and one of them's in the center. And they walk up to that tank, and you see the turret of that giant tank cannon. And it follows them as it starts going down, just following them as they approach. And that tank and its soldiers aren't kidding around. And sure enough, the tank opens when the fellas stop about 10 feet away. And who gets out? Some of you have seen a thousand times Carl Otto Alberti. He's a terrific actor. And he's been, well, I suppose you could say he was typecast for a while as, well, if you needed a good Nazi soldier. And this guy, boy, you could put a scar on him and he had blonde hair and blue eyes and he had kind of that round face, and uh, he wasn't ugly or anything, but you, if you just glanced at him, Martians could land and say, German? And he gets out, takes him a couple of steps, and he's the commander. He's the tank commander. And he steps down first onto one level of the tank, then on another level of the tank, and then he jumps down onto the ground. And he walks over to them and says, and it starts the meeting there, what do you want? And they tell him that, you know what? Uh, Clint Eastwood says, do you know what's in that bank? He doesn't know. I don't care. I've been ordered to guard it. And uh, Eastwood says, it's gold. He tells them everything. He tells them that that's gold. And that guy's face reacts and changes. He's, well, he's suspicious. They're enemies. But he hears that word gold. And uh, he said, gold. I thought it was just this. I thought it was just tools for this or that. And that's when Sutherland has a great line. He says, oh, no, baby. That's that's gold. That's real gold. And uh, they, they, they talk for just a little bit. And Eastwood says to him, so the point is, all you have to do right now to get a full equal share is to turn that turret around and blow a hole in that door. And you see the German's face just reacting. And then it's great movie making because then it's a cut to the door and just boom. It's it's wonderful movie making. It's, it's good storytelling. And he just blows that door off. And sure enough, they get in there and right in the center of that first room in the bank there, just piles of wooden boxes holding bars of gold. And they give, you know, they made a deal. And they give everybody's, you know, starting to unload it and to put it on their truck and on the American side. And for this guy, they give him all that they promised. And they give him a full share. And that's a lot of money. That's, you know, he was he was going to get, that's like $2 million in gold bars. And he comes back into them and he goes to Eastwood and says, He's breathing hard because just to get that, just to get that gold in a tank, and he says, "Yes, 
Uh, thank you. We are now done. And I'm, uh, I would leave. And, uh, Eastwood nods and says, all right. Well, you did a good job. And, uh, the, uh, Carl Otto says, thank you. And he salutes him like an, you know, one officer or another, but, uh, he salutes him first. He, he gives the Nazi salute. He, it's a great, another good movie moment. He gives the great, the arm shut up in the air, the right arm. And there's a look on Eastwood's face and then back to Carl. And he realizes and he just looks, thinks for a second and he lowers the right arm and salutes like an American. He just salutes Eastwood that way. And Eastwood nods and smiles and they, they did good business together. It's a wonderful movie, and that scene always appealed to me, especially a Sutherland saying, oh, no, baby, <laughs> that's gold. Folks, if you haven't seen it, see it. Kelly's Heroes from 1970, a great director, a great cast. Good Lord. And you know what? If you have seen it, see it again. I, I'd like to see it myself. Whew. I wish I could go see it with Billy Walsh again. But that's that's what you want, you know. And I I just I had something happen today twice that was just well, I was in my own Panzer tank, so to speak. My car, my new car, my two months old car. And I today went to you know there's a clinic and they f- fix you up. And you work on some of the health thing. How's your head doing? Well, it feels fine. No, no, no. The inside of the head. How's that doing? And as I went out uh, afterwards, there's an, I had a session there. And uh, after an hour, I went back out to the parking lot. And they're always great over there. It's a terrific group. All the valet guys. I never need a ticket. They always just go get my car. And uh, and I was standing there. And it just takes about 30 seconds, in fact. I was just glancing. I, I smiled at There's a new mother and a new father and their little baby in the carriage. And that's a new baby. That was, well, I I know if you had a f- couple, you know, or you know what a five-month-old baby looks like. And they were a terrific couple, and they just nodded and smiled. And there comes my car. So I picked up my backpack and uh, just went over there. And I, uh, the driver kind of you know, just dotted away. He didn't uh, stay around. I always give them a tip, and I said, well, that's kind of funny, but, well, it's close to lunchtime there, so I guess the people are piling up, and they need their cars. So I said, all right, and I opened the uh, the door, the way I always do, left rear door, and to put my backpack in, and uh, I said, you know, I just glanced in the rest of the back seat. It's, it's clean, the way I keep my car, but there's something in there, like a some kind of unit that was looked like plastic with tracks on it for holding something. And I said, what in the world is, what the, I don't know what, I don't have a, what, what? And I look at the car, it's my car. And I glanced again, and then I pulled back out, and I thought, what in the world? And I just walked around to the back. It's not my license plate. It's someone else's license plate. And, folks, I'm telling you, this is my car, the exact car, four-door, white. It was an Audi and a black interior and the same model, same everything. And I mean the exact car. And I thought, well, how do you like that? 
How often does that happen? The answer is never. It's never happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you, but I mean the exact car. And I reached in and pulled out my backpack and closed the door and stood there blinking at it. And I walked back to the valet station there. And the guy holds his hand out and said, points at the car. And I said, no, that's not mine. And he's, he's a little puzzled. And he picks up the hand radio and calls again for uh, for my car. And do you know, it's the couple with the baby. They walked over and they got in the car and they, father collapsed the baby carriage and put it in the trunk the way you do. And I'm telling you again, the exact car, everything, and in perfect shape too, everything, just the way I keep it, just clean and shiny. And that's what that track was for in the back seat. They put that baby's seat on it and click it in and tie it in and all the things I remember, and off they go. Well, how do you like that? That's That just doesn't happen, and it just happened to me. And then, well, can you imagine just just before getting together with Colonel Jeff, I was going to have an early dinner, and I, it's you know been so hot, even here on Milleronia, and I mean so hot, 90s hot, over 100 hot, and just crazy hot, and I thought I'd go into my, just get in my car and go grab a bite. There's a little place that uh, Colonel Jeff and I like, a little little Japanese joint, and they make very good food. And uh, it's a friendly place to sit. It's not a formal thing. And I sit there, and there's a, afterwards I said, I was feeling crazy, so I decided to get, there's a place just a few doors away, just a few. And it's a small mini mall. And it's a donut place, and they make fritters. I like fritters. I love them. They make an apple fritter and a blueberry fritter. And I thought, I said to myself, yeah, I want an apple fritter. Not the whole thing, but I just want a third of it or a half of it. And I go in there, and there's a young mother with her daughters, oh, six or seven, and they're just finishing up. And the the mother got a big box of, a pink box of donuts and gave the daughter something that she got for the daughter, a creamy thing that's half a donut or something. And they head out the door, and I got my fritter, and I sit there and just glancing out the front window. And the mother and daughter go over to, there's a car right out front. Their car is there. It's a new car, a nice one, one of those uh, Range Rovers. And those are pretty good cars, and they're they're not cheap either. And this is black, four-door, and and new. They had the brand-new license plates on it and the brand-new sticker in the window that says, New Car. And she just started, the mother started to open things up and put the donut box on the front hood and just goes there and something. She said, what in the world? It's not working. Her key's not working. And the daughter's just standing with her because, as you should, you should tell your daughter, just stand here. Don't wander away. So it's the mother and the daughter standing there, and the mother's not overreacting. She's just, what in the world? And folks, she looks up, and just on the other side of the car, the right side of the car, and I followed her vision, and I looked over too, the exact same car again in the same day. And I mean four-door black Range Rover with the same optional headlights, and the same stickers on it, and the same new car license plates, 
And I thought what she thought, how do you like that? Right next to each other, she picks up the box of donuts and uh, daughter by the hand and walks her in front of the car and then over to the other car, which is in the next spot. What are the odds of that? She opens that car, which, of course, now opens, and the little girl scampers into the back seat, and the mom makes sure she's got her seatbelt on and things like that, and then picks the donut box off the hood the way she had it on the first car and puts that in the front, gets in, and drives off. And I thought, how often does that happen? That's what I told Colonel Jeff. I said, this is crazy. It's never happened to me, and then it happens to me. And then on the same day, four hours later, it happened to a woman in the donut shop. Now, and I wonder, does that happen to you? Has that ever happened to you? Anything at all that remarkable? And you, you know what? It it does happen to people, just not a lot. Crazy things happen far more than we think they do, even when you don't expect it. When I was 15, I got a job at Times Square store in New York, TSS. And this was a popular store. I don't know if they were national. I don't think so. But uh, around New York, yeah, there were four or five here and there. And I just went over and said, uh, you know, I applied for a job there in their offices. And I was, I said, I was 15. And uh, Took a while, you know. I had to, you know, take a bus down the road, down down Peninsula Boulevard there, and you know what? They hired me. I remember the guy said, uh, "You a good cashier? You ever been a cashier before?" And I said, "I'm the best cashier you're ever going to meet." Now that wasn't really a lie because, well, he doesn't know me. I had never been a cashier before, anytime, anywhere. But you know what? You can learn that, and I. I had a good time. Hey, I went home. Hey, I got a job. And I was just, you know, it was good. It was good money. Not great money. It was good uh, cashier money. And I went there every time. It was like four or five nights a week. And it was an eight, nine hour shift. And uh, afternoon to the evening. And they put me in a different department every time. And one time I got there, they put me in the hardware department. And and they have a whole hardware store section. And I said, great, it's all fine with me. And I'm the only one there that was in the afternoon and no one was in there, no customers and no other employees like me, just me and the little jacket they give you. You know those jackets, the Times Square store on it. I told the colonel I wanted it to have the little, well, they put your name, Larry, in it, you know, in script. But they didn't, they just gave me a new jacket every day when I got there. And uh, a fella came in because he needed a new house key. And, well, of course, you go to a hardware store like the one in Times Square store. You say, I need a new key. Would you please make one for me? And I, I, the thing is, I didn't know how to work the machine. It's a machine that you all know where you lock in the key and you twist it so it holds it tight. And then you put in a blank key in the other holder, and you twist that tight, and then you, well, you cut the blank key based on how the guide goes in the ins and outs. By the way, you can see, I don't even know it now. And I said to the guy, I couldn't get the key in the right place, and I didn't know 
how close to put it or far away. And I said, mister, I'll be honest with you. I'm just, here's my first shift in the hardware store area. And I, I don't think I know how to do this and I don't know how to do it. So you know what, maybe you better come back tomorrow and fellow be here knows what to do. And he said to me, well, give it a try. And he was very friendly about it. And I said, really? Okay. Well, I'm all right. And well, folks, I, I didn't even know how to give it a try. I couldn't get it in the slots there where it's supposed to go. So what I did was I, well, I put the blank key, the new key in a slot and then put the cutter over it. And then I just held his house key in my hand. I held it up just about a foot. You know, it's in front of your eyes. So you're just eyeballing it. And I would cut in the, I'd look at the key I was cutting and then just glance back at the house key. You're looking, you know, you do that too. You're looking at your left hand and then you're looking at your right hand. And I don't know what I'm doing. And I finished. I finished it. And he said, I took it, took the keys out. I kind of blew at it a little just to get the dust off that. And he, he looked at them both. And he'd look from one to the other and he'd say, I'll be honest with you. I think you did it. And I said, what? I, I, that's amazing. I don't know. I don't know what I, what, what, I, what I did. He said, I'm telling you something. I think you did it. And I said, wow. And the keys making a key was 30 cents. I think in those days at 35 cents. And he paid me. He was happy to pay me. And he said, thanks. And I said, well, now listen, if he, if you get it back and it doesn't work, just bring it back here tomorrow. And the fellow who knows how to do it, will make another one. And he said, uh, you know, I will, but I've got to tell you again, I think you did it. And folks, he never came back. And that's kind of one of those amazing, almost miraculous things of, wait, did I do it? Did you do it with anything you've ever done like that? Well, I think I'm happy with just looking back and thinking, I guess I did it. And even though it's not much money, just 30 cents or 35 cents, that fella, it looked good to him. Well, if it looks good to him, it looks good to me. So you know what? I know what my car looks like, and I guess I know what a house key ought to look like. You and I know the same things, folks. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. So remember that. Use your own car and use your own keys, and we'll see you here next time. <laughs>